0: Can't wait to get a scene. Can you? And our great Savior. Y'all convinced y'all convinced you got a great Savior? Boy, I am. There's nobody like Jesus. And I love Him more and more each day. I'm so thankful for that. And I hope that you're growing in that same way, loving your Savior more and more every day. You can't wait to see him and be with him. You know, the one who shed his blood for you. one who loved you and left heaven so that you might be saved. Oh man, get to be with him one day. All right, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1. That's where we are. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with, God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind, the minds of unbelievers, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim, it's not ourselves. Jesus Christ, as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Paul, be began at the end of chapter 2 to defend his ministry against those Judaizers that had come to the Corinthian church who were slandering his ministry. We're in the middle of that defense. They called Paul weak as they pointed out how much he suffered. They questioned his character. These are things that they were saying about him. They questioned his character, saying that even as he refused payment from the church in a formal collection, that he must have been receiving payment from certain benefactors and then taking the credit for being an upstanding guy. They said he changed his plans according to the flesh. They said he denigrated the Old Testament and the law. And all these things and more were being said, which amounted to as an attack upon him. But it also signified the danger and threat that the Corinthian church was in. They were in danger of following leaders who would take them from the true gospel and from the true worship of God to a false gospel. Their future as a church had hung in the balance and Paul has taken the last chapter that we, that we read, chapter three, plus a few extra verses in chapter two and now in chapter four, to highlight the differences between old covenant ministry and new covenant ministry, to highlight the differences between his ministry and those that he says peddles the word of God. And here in this passage today, we have read, we have on display for us a summary of the power that's in the new covenant distinctive of preaching of the God, of the preaching of the gospel. There's power in the preaching of the gospel. and That's what Paul's here, what he's talking about right here. It's so interesting that that God has put this preaching of the gospel and of the cross on display as the means by which he will demonstrate his power by bringing the spiritually dead to life. Um, It's a method, preaching is, is a method cloaked in weakness, and it's despised by the world. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 that the word of the cross is folly, or the preaching of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And he says that the Jews, they demand signs, and and the Greeks, they demand um, wisdom, they seek after wisdom. But in the preaching of the word, God gives them neither of those things. Instead, he sends these poor and weak preachers and missionaries to stand up and to preach the unsearchable riches of jesus christ in this preaching of the gospel they open up their bibles and they read from a text and they simply tell people what it means there are no great signs and wonders there's no particularly worldly wisdom that's imparted upon people and yet as men and women sit there with their arms folded and wagging their heads and uh, Such simplicity, God chooses to do something amazing to many of them. He begins to soften their hearts and work in their lives. So, in fact, that's before I get into too much about it. We're going to talk a little bit about this about something that God does as we preach the text in the morning. The power of the preaching of the Word of God is described here in this passage. You know, we just took a quick look at the fact that at face value and from a worldly perspective, there isn't a lot of strength in preaching. There's not a lot of strength in preaching. People, they're not interested in it. It doesn't generate a a crowd like signs and wonders would. And, And yet the preacher of the gospel has great confidence in the power of his preaching. Why? Because he knows that God promises to work in preaching as the means by which that he will save his people from their sins. So the first point that Paul makes in the passage today concerning the power of gospel preaching is that the preacher of the gospel has determined perseverance. A gospel preacher's given, determined perseverance. Look at verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Paul says, "Having this ministry, we do not lose heart." What ministry is that? He's been speaking of the at the end of it at the end of chapter three about it. It's the ministry where God removes the veil that's upon the hearts of sinners. It's a ministry where the spirit of the Lord is given to the people of God as they look to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, knowing that through the ministry of new covenant preaching, God's doing these amazing things. A gospel preacher can boldly preach knowing that God is going to bless the message, the preaching, one way or the other. You know, one of the knocks on Paul was the endless persecution that he faced. The question was asked of the Corinthians by the Judaizers, can Paul really be an apostle, of God since He suffers since he, excuse me since He suffers so much. I mean, wouldn't a true apostle have God's favor and succeed everywhere he goes? And Paul replies that his confidence is not shaken based upon his circumstances. In other words, they may reject him and they may persecute him and they may call him a fool. But Paul does not lose heart in what he's doing. He is determined and he will not quit. And that's the mark of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And dear friends, if I could have just one ounce of his courage, I'd be happy. He never gave up. All the things that he went through, the persecution, the rejection, the imprisonment, the stonings, the beatings, the betrayals, nothing could stop him because he was on a mission from God to preach the gospel to the whole world if God should purpose it. He'd been given the awesome responsibility of being a minister of the new covenant where the spirit of God is given to the people of God and where the righteousness of Jesus Christ is given to the people of God. and Lives were being changed for eternity. And he'd been given this directive from God. And the old covenant had faded away and the new covenant had come in all its glory and all of its permanence. And Paul was charged of preaching this glorious news and he would not back down. Church, that's our calling today in the midst of a Western culture that despises the message of the gospel, that calls Christianity anti-science and bigoted and mean-spirited and scoffs and rejects the teachings of the faith as some antiquated religion way past its prime and relevance, we need to be laser-focused as Paul was and possess the same dogged determination and perseverance that He possessed. We need to preach with greater determination and confidence in the marvelous working power of God to save His people through Jesus Christ. We need to be laser-focused in our dedication to share Christ with those that we know, those that we love, and, and to support mission work, both at home and abroad, as the gospel as we trust the true gospel to be preached through what what we give to people, what we give to people both at home and abroad who need to hear of Jesus Christ and the radiance of His glory. And we possess that determination because of the message that we have and what God has promised to do through it. It's the greatest message ever. The greatest message ever. Let us have confidence in it. In in all in, in let us not shrink back. We need that dogged um, um perseverance to preach the word. Excuse me. Secondly. Secondly, because there's power in the preaching of the gospel, we can trust in the process of preaching the gospel. People get worried about the effectiveness of preaching. They think you have to spice it up somehow. So you get rid of the pulpit as a visual cue, you know, that you're warm and welcoming to your listeners. Preaching becomes less focused on God's Word and on His gospel and more pop psychology and visual art. I saw just recently a a video of a pastor dressed up as Aladdin and singing a song from a movie for a sermon. I've seen Star Wars Day at church, you know, come and worship with Chewbacca and R2-D2. I've seen a guy at a megachurch put a giant bed on the stage at a church where he preached about intimacy and marriage. Why are these things done? There's no confidence in God's tried and true method for converting sinners. Pragmatism wins out over trust and obedience. Ultimately, there's no understanding of the power of God that's in the preaching of the gospel. Look at verse 2. We have renounced disgraceful And underhanded ways we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Paul's talking here about things... He's been accused of. He's been accused of underhanded ways. He's been accused of tampering with God's Word. He was accused of dishonest gain and with tampering with God's Word by not requiring Gentiles to follow the law. He was accused of commending himself since he didn't have apostolic accreditation and he didn't have letters of of recommendation. All of of these charges against Paul are false. And as Paul addresses his confidence in the preaching of the gospel, he also suggests that it's actually his opponents who are guilty of these things that he's been accused of. They've lived off the Corinthians. They've tampered with the gospel. They've sought power through letters of commendation when they really hadn't accomplished anything. And not much has changed today, you know. There are still preachers preaching morality and legalism out there as they suggest that God will be happy with you because of what you do. There are still ministers fleecing the flock as they get rich off of underhanded ways. Send me that $1,000 seed money. They say there are still ministers using deception in twisting scriptures. But the, new, but the true New Covenant minister has integrity. He's there to preach the truth of God's Word. The truth doesn't need deception. In fact, those two things are counterintuitive, aren't they? It doesn't need clever games. The truth the gospel doesn't need clever games. It doesn't need jokes. It doesn't need to be laced with themes for the, from the world so that people will pay attention uh, uh, to, the, to the preaching. It doesn't have to be dressed up. And I'll tell you, I'll go ahead and tell you that deceptive and underhand ways will draw a bigger crowd than the New Covenant ministry because lots of people with itching ears want to have them scratched and they bring in people who will do that for them. See, our goal isn't big crowds, although we would hope for such a response. It'd be wonderful to fill a church up. But if a big crowd is what a New Covenant ministry ends up, it's a pretty unique thing. Our commendation as New Covenant ministers is the gospel we preach, and our, it isn't how many people we get. Our commendation is the gospel we preach. Are we preaching Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead for our, for our sins? Right, people, and, and, and our ministry and our life impacts the consciousness, the, uh, the, the conscience. Excuse me, of those that come in contact that they come in contact with people that reject the gospel, they're often offended by and repulsed by the new covenant minister. His preaching is the stench of death uh, to him. To those being saved, the gospel leaves an indelible mark on their conscience as the message from which God saves people from their sins. Thirdly, there's power in preaching, in the preaching of the gospel, because you see the devil's work is destroyed. The devil's work is destroyed. Look at verse Three again, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. As we saw last time, the Israelites, they had hardened their hearts to the gospel and as a result, a veil laid over their hearts when Moses was read. And that was symbolized in the Old Testament Testament when Moses went in to visit with God and and he came out and had a veil over his face to hide the glory um, of God from them, that fading glory. Um, But it's not just the Jews who are veiled to the glory of God. Everyone that is perishing apart from Christ has the gospel veiled to them. And verse 4 says that the perishing Are veiled by the God of this age. You know who Paul's referring to here, right? He's referring to Satan. The Satan has blinded both Jewish and Gentile unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. It's a universal darkness. It's demonic, it's cosmic. It it is Satan's intention for them to die in darkness, die in their sins so they might drag as many as he can with them to hell. He hates God, he hates man. It wants to see them destroyed. And the best way for that to happen is to blind them to the light of the glory of God. But such is the power that accompanies the preaching of the gospel that the work of the devil is destroyed. It's overthrown. And that's got to be a God thing. I don't have the power over the devil of my own accord. I don't have that power. And yet the devil's work is overthrown when the gospel's preached. And that's why we've got to have that integrity that we spoke of in point two. If we horse around with the preaching of the word, do goofy things up here, we veil the glory of God to those who listen to us. We're there to preach the light of God's glory in Jesus Christ. So to, pres- to preach is to preach Christ. We have five again. It says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. We don't proclaim ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ. There's no light in preaching ourselves or morality or, or anything other than Jesus Christ. He is Lord. It's of the utmost importance that we take seriously the preaching of the gospel. See, Christ Jesus is disarming the devil through the work, through his work and through the preaching of the gospel. When Paul was knocked off his horse on his way to Damascus, he saw the risen Lord Jesus with his own eyes. He saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and, and although no one else has that same conversion experience where you actually see Jesus, um, yet Paul in the preaching of the uh, Paul in the preaching of the gospel is the means by which the glory of God in Jesus Christ is seen by those that simply hear uh, the, the the preaching. Christ is preached, the gospels preached, the veil is lifted from the hearts of the hearers and the light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ shines upon them. The devil's work is overthrown in in that person as they have come to Jesus Christ. And this is what people are taken to in the preaching of the gospel. The invisible God who can't be seen has perfectly revealed himself in the glory, in the glorified Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full revelation of God. There's nothing more that can or, or will be seen of God. It's in Jesus. In gospel preaching, we're bringing people to this Jesus. So if, you ever, if you're a Christian here today and if, you, you know, if you've repented, if you've trusted only in Christ, if you love Jesus with a, a deep love because you hear, you've heard the Scriptures read and preached and you're enthralled by Him and you're possessed by Him and you're captured by Him, then the devil has, has been overthrown in your life by the power of the gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ has been revealed to you. You've seen Him in one sense, even as you've merely only heard His word all that remains for you now is to meet Him face by face when you wash upon the shores of heaven. And that promise is to all those that that die in Christ Jesus. You've been brought to the glory of God in the gospel. Fourthly, there's power in the gospel for us to live lives patterned after Christ. Lives of humility and weakness and servitude. Verse 5 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency. Oops, I'm sorry, verse 5. I knew that wasn't right. For For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. There's power in the gospel to live humble lives, lives of service. One of the criticisms against Paul was that he was weak and he doesn't even argue with it. Paul describes himself here as a slave of Jesus Christ and a slave of the people of Corinth. Here's that upside-down nature of Christianity. It's in man's nature to be prideful or to set himself up as superior to others or take the advantage. What's valued in Christianity is humility and servitude. Paul's brought no letters of commendation. He doesn't lord his position over them. He literally calls himself their slave. That's what the word is. And that fits the pattern of the Savior in humility. Christ came and he served the people. He's the Savior, Jesus is, who put on a towel and, and uh, washed his disciples' feet. That's what Jesus did. And he's also Lord and King. And he sends out his servants to minister and serve God's people. He doesn't send them out to be served. So the new covenant minister doesn't preach himself. He preaches Christ as Lord. And he makes himself a slave to those he preaches to. Some call it weakness. It's actually strength. Strength. Trust Christ um, in your weakness. Now I know that um, we've talked all about the power of the preaching of the word. But I do want to point out, One more thing to demonstrate what power there is in the gospel proclamation. Look at verse 6 again. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That sound like something familiar to you? For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. There's no doubt here Of a connection between God creating in Genesis 1 and bringing forth light and the idea of a new creation in Christ Jesus and the call for there to be light in the believer. See that? Isn't that good? So when you read Genesis 1, where God says, Let there be light, and it follows him with creating, Paul is urging us to connect that with the preaching of the gospel, which brings light, the light of the glory of God in Christ to an individual and a new creation, follows. How's that for power? That's powerful, isn't it? And all of it's out of this weakness of preaching Christ and Him crucified. See, people are looking for something that they think is better, something that will captivate their attention. But God gets their attention in the most unlikely place. When an unimpressive guy like me gets up and preaches the gospel. Paul was unimpressive. Do you know that? They looked at Paul. The Corinthians stand there like, this is Paul. Um, he wasn't a very big guy. And um, he was stooped over as later, he got later in age. He was visibly scarred from the beatings and stonings. You remember Galatians? He, he tells them, you know, I bear on my marks the, uh, the the marks of the Lord. I bear on my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was old and, and bald, and who late in life may have been near a blindness when he stood up to preach the gospel. <laughs> but the power of God was in that preaching. The power of God was in it. Oh church, let's be on. Let's be on about gospel preaching. It conquers the devil and it brings light, the light of the glory of Christ to those that hear it. It's the means of a new creation in people. Just what I would say to you about what you demand from me—demand right gospel preaching from me and from anyone who stands in this pulpit. I was asked a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, by someone who doesn't go to this church that, that when the godsmen were here, if I would preach, uh, and I said yes, I, I'll preach. And it's not because I want you to see me. It's not because I have some idea of my own self-importance. It's because the gospel must be preached. It must be preached. We don't have time to play around, do we? We don't have time to play around. We we don't have time to pull all this stuff off here and put a bed up here, do we? We don't have time to bring Chewbacca in (laughs) and have Star Wars worship. I love Star Wars, but I don't want to worship with Chewbacca. We can't skip this deeply important thing that God has commanded and that He is doing glorious things through. I want you to join me in seeing the great value and what's what's being done up here. Not because of me, because of this and the power that's in the gospel to change people. Have you been changed by the gospel preaching? Then you know how valuable it is, don't you? Do you know how important it is that Jesus Christ is proclaimed from this pulpit week in and week out over and over and over and over again? Assign great value to the distinctive of New Covenant ministry because God works marvel- marvelously through it. When so many people are tempted to think, well, you can you can take the preaching or you can leave it. You know, like Amy Grant said years ago. I don't really remember any of the sermons that were preached there, but I remember the songs. Well, of course you do. Maybe if I'd preach with with Melody, maybe you'd remember some of my sermons, right? (laughs) Melody does that to us, doesn't it? It's not to denigrate the preaching of the Word. Oh, I love the music. Great, love the music. Know that this is the power of God to change people. That's what it is. Because God works that way. It could I don't know, man, it could have been done some other way, but God didn't do it some other way. He says, this is the way. Some goofy guy's going to get up there and preach the scriptures, and I'm going to convert people through it. Isn't that good? So have a high view of the preaching of the Word of God. Love the preaching. I know sometimes you get here and... Um, and uh, and uh, you're tired some days, and it's hard, but that doesn't matter, does it? None of that matters. What goes on here is what God has ordained and what He loves and what He changes lives through. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, are so thankful for You and and so thankful for the way in which You do things, and we have no complaints. No complaints. Um, and I never... As a as a a preacher, want to be a burden upon the people, Um, not having done my work, or having distracted people um, from what is what we must what we must have, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to be told that Jesus is a great and all sufficient Savior, and to tell that message over and over again. So, don't ever want to be a distraction. In that way, and I want this people, God, to, to love the preaching of the word. So I pray you'll help me to be a better preacher of the gospel. I pray you, God, you'll help them to be better listeners of the gospel, that they'll crave it, that they'll crave to hear about Jesus Christ, that they'll crave to hear the word of God opened up and preach to the people, God. May your blessing be upon them. For there's great power in this Lord, not just for our salvation but for our sanctification, for our growth. As Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. You know, rebuke, reprove, exhort. We need all those things, Lord. And it comes through the preaching of the word, that that which is despised by much of the world. We love it in the church. And we love our Savior who's given Himself for us. And I pray in... Christ, pray these things in Christ's precious and holy name. And amen. Well, Christ received the sinful men. He sends people to preach the gospel. They believe he receives sinful men. Let's sing a verse or two of him, number 563. You should stand with me.